Okay, so we are talking about the doctrines of grace. And last week, I'll be frank with you, I covered way too much. I went way too far. And uh, I knew you'd bring my coffee. I was like, I'm going to wait for Brianna to bring the rest of these articles because she saw me leave my coffee and she'll bring it. Um, Thank you. So last week we did a little too much. Honestly, I tried to cover two things. I don't know if you can tell what I was trying to cover. Uh, I was trying to say, look, I know that you probably grew up in a tradition that did not teach the doctrines of grace. Um, And that makes you naturally skeptical, um, especially if you were converted in that tradition. Nobody was converted in a more Arminian uh, tradition than me. I I grew up in a church that kind of didn't believe any doctrine at all, um, which may be better than actually believing bad doctrine, but that's another debate for another day. Um, And so you you kind of distrust something that's different. So I was trying to say this is actually... um, this is the, the root bed of the, the faith. It's what Augustine taught in 300 AD. It's what uh, Tyndale and Huss believed in, in, fifth, in the 15th century. It's what Luther and Calvin rediscovered. That's why they called it the Reformation in the 16th century. It's what George Whitfield and, and Jonathan Edwards uh, taught in the 17th century. And, um, you know, it's, it's what Tim Keller and R.C. Sproul. And, um, and and a lot of people still speak teach today, but another kind of tradition crept in. We call the Great Awake, Second Great Awakening, revivalism. That idea that you could put a sign out front, say we're gonna have a revival Tuesday. You know, like we if we do it right, then we can get people saved. And so it's really the preacher's job to heap guilt on people and keep singing the same song over and over again and kind of manipulate those emotions and get people saved. And that do all that out of good intentions. They really believe they're getting people saved by doing that. Um, and so I'm not faulting their intentions. Uh, I'm faulting their methods because I think they leave people getting converted over and over and over. I had a man in my office last week who told me his his salvation story was, he, he comes from a tradition that believes once you are converted, once you're saved, you don't sin anymore. At all. It's a holiness tradition. And uh, and so every time he would sin, he would go get reconverted. And uh, his friends would say, "Hey, don't you don't have to do that. You you didn't sin. You just made a mistake." Like, no, I do that. So uh, you know this doctrine, these doctrines we're talking about today, the sovereignty of God, really freed him from that slavery, freed me from from a similar slavery. Uh, the second thing I tried to do last week, I told you I tried to do too much is teach you kind of a general biblical overview of everything that's ever happened in the history of the world. And say all of those things are directed by God's sovereignty to the end of redeeming this world, having us with Him, having us with Him forever and ever. And that, um, that was, that's hard to teach. It's hard to get your mind around you know, earthquakes and uh, and lost babies and all the, the pain, truly painful things that have happened in the world and how God would be using them, right? Um, you know, the, one of the hardest things to walk uh, sisters through is, is miscarriages, right? They're just so painful. And, uh, you know, I, I, I say this with all the tenderness in my heart, but if my mom hadn't had a miscarriage, I wouldn't be here today. She wanted one more child. One. That's all. And, you know, she, she had a miscarriage three years before I was born. And that was tragic and terrible. I'm really sorry she went through that pain. And, not but, and and I'm glad that I exist. And I'm glad I exist to teach you the Bible. And so God is redeeming even the most tragic, sad, and awful events for His good, for His for our good. For His glory and our glory. Because our glory is to live forever in His glory. So that's what I tried to do last week. Did I do it? I probably did a better job right then. Uh, in that five minutes than I did all of last week. In that hour of... Blah, 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 blah. I know what it sounded like. Alright. So, this week we're going to get into the actual doctrines. You may notice that I have not taken a sip of this yet. Yeah? I just can't drink because the top's on. There we go. All right. 
So we're going to get into the actual doctrines. Now, the uh, actual, the, the historic, kind of easy to remember acronym for the doctrines of grace is what? TULIP. TULIP. Right. So you probably guess that I just, I'm not crazy about any of these letters. Especially that one. That one's awful. So we're going to uh, redefine it because labels matter. Right? Labels matter. And if uh, if you, those, those words put feelings in your heart and in your soul. And, um, and, and so we need new labels. So I'm going to try to come up with a new acronym as we go. All right? So we'll see. We'll see how that works. So we're going to replace the T with an R, and we're going to call it radical corruption. I may, have just, I may just need to use the word corruption. but Now, this is the setting from which we are saved. We are all radically corrupt. What I mean by that, radically, means every part of us. Corrupt means we're not what we were created to be. Total depravity makes us not we're awful. I don't think we were awful. Some of us were, right? Some of us were um, just evil people who were you know, racist and did terrible things. Most of us were probably fine. Right? I mean, honestly... When, before I was a believer, I still would have been a fine neighbor and a good best friend. You know, I didn't do a lot of the sins that other people committed. Now, it wasn't because I had a regenerate heart. I was afraid. I was a very little kid. I didn't top 100 pounds until I was a junior in high school. Uh, I didn't top 5 feet until I was a freshman in high school. I was just a very small, little, timid boy who liked to stay at home and play with his little football men. Um, and so there were a lot of sins I didn't commit um, out of fear, not out of righteousness, not out of holiness. Um, some of us, we don't, we, we choose sin. We choose one sin over another. That's called sin management. So, and it's funny how we group up with those kind of people. Right? We group up with people who have the same sins that we do. So, people who have the sin of uh, you know, wanting to go out and party and be and be rebels, tend to go out and party with other people who like to go out and party. All right? Those of us who like to, to be prideful and took a real a lot of pride in being smarter than everybody else, we group up with all the other people who like to take pride in being smarter than everybody else. We kind of you know go off together. And and the Lord, in His providence, in His sovereignty, we talked about last week, He uses one sin to keep us from another. Right, so the Lord was at work in my pride, and it's good. I'm glad I didn't become an alcoholic at 17. You know, I'm glad I, I went to the most expensive college I could get into. Um, I'm glad I pridefully dated the cutest girl that I thought would go out with me. The Lord used all those things to direct me into the person that I am today. Um, but not many of them were done for righteousness. I did not pick a college, you know, seeking the glory of God. I was seeking the glory of Ricky. And the Lord used my sin to get me right where He wanted me to go. Okay? So, we're not... So the first thing... What's the first thing in your outline? Why does it matter? Let me rephrase. Let me go back and, and do that. First point in our outline is why does it matter? Why do I want you to know how radically corrupt you were? Why do I need to remind you of how bad you are? What do, what do you think? I don't know. Why are you, are you reminding us of how bad we are? Doesn't that rain sound good? It's really easy to uh, think that you have Self likes to inflate. Uh, it does not like being deflated. And um, total depravity or radical corruption teaches us what we come from. So that enables us to forgive others. Right? We look, we look at people, and we 
some of us live with bitterness. This describes me. I lived with bitterness because I just couldn't imagine how my dad would run off and leave us. Just, and, and, and total depravity is what my campus minister used, right? He said, why didn't you go with him? Why are you better than him? Is it because you're implicitly better? And that was exactly what I believed, right? Why didn't you become an alcoholic at 17 like your friend? Why weren't you, you know, sexually um, defiled by the time you were, you know, in high school? Was it because you're better than them? And that is what I believed, right? And that put me on a level of pride where I could not do ministry. And it put me on a level of, of bitterness where I could not forgive other people. Because I didn't see myself in them. And it's important that we see ourselves in people. Uh, especially people who are never going to repent, who are never going to come and make things up to us. Um, it's important to see, well, they don't have Jesus in them. I wouldn't do those things either if I didn't have Jesus in me. And so, you know, it enables us to kind of forgive them and, and to move on. So I think that's the first reason why it's important. is It, it enables us to forgive. It also enables us to uh, have assurance of our salvation. Um, if there was just one little bit that I did, I would always be wondering if I did it right. If there was one little portion of my salvation that I earned, I would spend the rest of my life wondering if I did it right. And... Um, and I think that's true of all of us. You know, when we try to comfort people, those of us who come from a, a tradition that does not believe in the doctrines of grace, we call that Arminianism after a guy named Arminius. And, um, you know, they, they want to be as kind as possible and say, Jesus won't reject anybody who comes to Him sincerely. It's that one word. Was I really sincere? Maybe I was selfish. Maybe I came to him because I didn't want to go to hell. Maybe I had a, I better do it again. And I, I'm here to tell you right now, you were not sincere. You know, I know people who were converted because RUF had pretty girls. You know, they came to RUF looking for a wife. They ended up finding Jesus. I know people who were converted because they didn't want to die. You know, I know people who converted because they didn't want to go to hell. I know people who were converted because they wanted to get out of jail. And they were convinced that they read the entire Bible... God would let them out of jail. Superstitious, silly, and you know what? The day they finished the Bible, they got out of jail. <laughs> he did. Anyway, Malcolm Brown is his name. God doesn't do that, Malcolm. Well, he did it for me. Okay. <laughs> Malcolm was very converted. Um, you weren't sincere, and 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 as long as you are pinning your assurance of salvation on something that you did, even if it's just a little, even if it's just feeling the right way. You'll never have it. Because you'll always wonder, did because because sin's gonna stay in there. This corruption stays in there. The flesh, we're gonna deal with the flesh until we die, until we get to leave it behind. And so your assurance of salvation is kind of locked on this. And then thirdly, thirdly is the context or the foundation of salvation. And that's important. So this is this is what I mean. What did God save you from? What happened to you when you were saved? The typical picture is you were drowning and God threw you a rope, right? And you grabbed the rope, and that rope's called Jesus, and He pulled you in. Um, you were you were sick, you were dying in bed, and God put the medicine on the bedside table called gospel and you took it. And as eloquent as those pictures have been painted for us, they're not true. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and God made you alive together with Him and raised you up with Him because of... So we don't get to go to this one until this... We're going to have to jump there now. 
because of the love with which He loved us, He made us alive together with us. That's deep, man. That's some deep love right there. But I got we're back. Um, we're not we're not sick. We're not drowning. We're dead at the bottom of a pool. And He comes and He pulls us out of the pool. And we had nothing to do with it. We're not, you know, the, the honestly, this is probably the gospel explanation where I was converted with was this kind of FCA, you know, you were losing the game and God sent in to substitute and He won the game for you. Uh, there was a lot more accurate uh, picture of what happened a couple of weeks ago on Monday Night Football. And even if you don't watch it, you probably saw it, right? A, a safety died. He died on the football field. And they, they came in and they restarted his heart. And he woke up in the hospital and the first words out of his mouth were, who won? Because um, he's a football guy. I, that's what happened. It wasn't that you were losing the game. It's that you were dead in the middle of the field. And Jesus came and restarted your heart. And um, there is so much importance to that. Um, Jesus, he's not going to be disappointed in you. He wasn't. He didn't save you because he had high expectations for you. He didn't save you because he thought you were so cute. He didn't save you because you were so smart. He didn't save you because you had such a tender heart. He loved you because he loved you. He loved you because he loved you. And and this doctrine enables you to believe that. You did nothing. You did nothing to earn His approval. Therefore, you can't lose it. You can't lose it. Um, a friend of mine named Joe Novenson would always do this with his children. When they were four years old, on the fourth birthday, Joe's a very emotional, very... Uh, Theatrical guy. I'm drawn to that type. And I don't know why. But I like emotional, theatrical people. Go figure. Stopped taking my Lexapro yesterday, so you might be about to find out why I like emotional. (laughs) Um, Sorry, where was I going? He would get his four-year-olds on the fourth birthday, and he'd put them on his lap, and he would say, Do I love you? Yes, Daddy, you love me. Is there anything you could do to make me stop loving you? No, Daddy, there's nothing you, I could do to make you stop loving me. If you were to rob a bank and kill people, would I love you? And he, he has two boys and a girl, and both boys were like, hmm, probably. The little girl was the first one to say, even if I did that, you would love me. And then he would get them down, he'd get down on his level, and he'd say, even if you killed people, I would love you and I would go to the jail every day and bring you peanut butter sandwiches because I know you like them. And, and that's an important message for us to believe because as long as we believe we did anything, we felt right, we said the right prayer, we believed the right doctrine, we did the right thing, as long as we believe that we did anything, to get God's attention, there's a chance we could stop doing it and lose His love. But when you believe that the reason why He is in a relationship with you is you start, I forgot that part, Joe would tell his kids, and the reason why is because you didn't have anything to do with starting this relationship. I started. Before you were born, I started this relationship with you. You didn't begin it, and you do not have the right to end it. You don't have the power to end it. And so that is that is why it's important. I believe you'll never have true assurance of your salvation until you believe that you did nothing to attract God in the first place. Now, does that make sense? We, you tracking with me? You really can't stop me and say, no, Ricky, that was dumb. I, I want you to do that. Okay. Nobody's ever done that in my life, but you know, I'll stop. All right, second. Problem. The reason why I don't want to use total depravity as a term, the reason why we're X out the T and we're putting in an R or a C, we're going to, we'll wait and see 
what we'll do is we'll go through the whole thing and then we'll work together to come up with a good acronym, right? So uh, why do I like not like it? Well, what does total depravity sound like? When you hear it, someone says, you're totally depraved. You're, yeah, you're just a complete heathenist. You're awful. There's no hope for you. Right. Which is actually fairly accurate. Did you have your hand? That's the chin. Yeah. And it's, it's, you can use it, you know, people do use it, unfortunately, to shame Christians even. You know, you're a hopeless sinner. Except for God. Yeah, you know, sort of like except for God. You can really manipulate people with that. And it's been used to shame and degrade people. It's been used to shame and degrade the world and believe that there's nothing good in people. Um, it's been used as an excuse for all kinds of evil. Some of the most evil of the slaveholders in America were Calvinists. So, well, these are these are unchosen, totally depraved, soulless things that we got from Africa, and we can do whatever we want to with them. Um, that's a good part of our tradition that we'll have to talk about. Um, and so it's just been misused to degrade humanity. Uh, all humans are still created in God's image. That image has been corrupted, right? It's not what it ought to be. Uh, we're kind of like coins have been placed on the railroad tracks. I know you've all done that. Surely you have, right? Come on, you've done that. Raise your hand if you haven't done that. You've never put a coin on a railroad track. Oh my gosh. All right, this is what I want y'all to do tomorrow. Go to lunch at Ollie's. Ollie's is over in West Tulsa. It's a great restaurant. It's got three train tracks. And while you're eating lunch, the train will come by. Put a coin on each track. You'll get to see it. It'll be all mashed out. It's going to be corrupted. It's going to be out of shape. But if you look at it, you can still see that image. You can still see the image of Abraham Lincoln on that penny. And that's, that's where we are. We all have it. Even before you were in Christ, there were things that were good in you. And that's that allows us a way to do evangelism. We don't have to say everything about the world's evil and therefore we're completely different and we need to separate from them. I have a friend, and his method of evangelism is finding out what the person's interested in. You know, he was on an airplane one time with an entomologist who found, he discovered a bug they didn't know existed. And he listened to the guy talk about the bug for an hour and a half. He was so fascinated. And when he finally got a chance, and he really did enjoy learning, about it, but more or less, kind of. And uh, and he said, he said, do you know why you're so fascinated by that bug, by that insect? Because God is fascinated by it. God loves that. He created that insect, and he created every little everything that you just told me about. He created it like that. He's interested in it too. You remind me of him. You remind me of him. That image is still there. We're not utterly depraved. We're not as bad as we can possibly be. We're all, you know, the, tra- the classic example. We're not all little Hitlers running around. Um, you're not. You know, some of you were great babysitters before you were converted. You know, you're the kind of person we could trust with our kids. Um, if I thought you were going to kill my kids, I probably wouldn't have trusted you with them. Didn't mean you were a Christian. It just means you had good things about you. And there are good things that the world creates. Uh, Common grace. That's called common grace. Uh, There are good things that the world has in an art we can appreciate. Science we can use. That's, you know, one of the big reasons uh, Amish people completely separate themselves from the world is because they are extremely Calvinistic, right? And there's just nothing good in the world. Nothing. Technology's not good. TV's not good. Art's not good. We're just going to live off by ourselves, completely separated from anything that the English have touched. Um, there's a little bit of Dutch nationalism in that, too. But we all got a little bit of that, don't we? <laughs> so, you have any Dutch roots, Charmaine? I, just, I do. Or, I didn't know if you were... I thought, I thought your accent I betrayed that. Yeah. Um, South Africans are uh, typically half Dutch and half English, or, or all English. What church? You grew up Anglican? No. Reform? You want me to say in Afrikaans? Yes. <laughs> Full gospel church of God. Full gospel church of God. That's beautiful. I love that. Maybe to get you up in the pulpit reading some Afrikaans. <laughs> sure. So, uh, we call that common grace. God 
gives grace to unbelievers. You see that in the Bible. Uh, you see that uh, when God uh, gets, you know, when, when when Solomon works with the king of Tyre to get timber, get cedar sent down the river. That's that's common grace. You know, that the best wood in the world was there. We can work with them. We can trust them. Um, it's kind of hard to. You don't want to go too far with this because you don't really know who the people were in the Bible. But you know, there were um, when Elijah went to the widow of, you know, you don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. Nan was it the widow of Nan? Widow somewhere. Anyway, she wasn't. A, I know for sure she wasn't an Israelite. Um, you know that that's common grace. She allowed him into her house. She baked her last piece of bread for him. You know, and, and the Lord protected her. That's common grace. Not there, there are people out there who actually do good. Um, and if we understand that, actually that gives us a good bridge uh, to talk with them. There's a... You ever notice how every subject reminds me of something else? It reminds me of something else. So There's a, uh, a Presbyterian missionary. I think his name is Gary Richardson. I can see the names of his books, but I can't remember for sure what his name is. And... He was a, a missionary to, to very uh, primal tribes and native tribes in uh, South America and other lands and islands like Nagaland. And uh, he, what he would do is he would study the tribes while learning their language. He would just study them, right? And then he would find something about them that reminded him of the gospel. And uh, so his, his, call, his book's called Eternity in Their Hearts, and there's another book called uh, Peace Child. And a peace child, he, he noticed this. He was going to move. He, the, the people that he was witnessing to were so violent that they just would, would not, couldn't be anywhere near each other without killing each other, literally killing each other. So he called the two chiefs together and he said, I'm going to go back to America. And he you know, had the medicine and the food and he, they knew that like, he, they needed him. And they said, no, you can't go. You, know, you, you saved our lives. And he said, I know, but the reason why y'all are so close to each other is because you want to be close to me. And since you're close to each other, y'all keep killing each other. So I'm gone, unless y'all can figure out a way to work it out. So the next day, he observes this crazy, crazy tradition where the chief took one of his babies, you could hear the mother screaming, and walked over to the other tribe and gave his baby to the chief of the other tribe. And that's called a peace child. And as long as you're keeping this child alive, we will be at peace. And he went back to his tent and goes, I wish they, there was some way I could teach them the gospel. <laughs> of course, like that's God putting the gospel in their hearts. That's exactly what God, sort of, you know, you have to change it. But that's, and you know, and, and once they understood that Jesus was the peace child, everything was different. They saw the, the awfulness of the crucifixion and they began to get... Uh, they actually kind of rejoiced in the crucifixion before that. So, got him. <laughs> they were so violent. Like, like Judas was their hero. Man, he, he betrayed him with a kiss. That's awesome. That's called fattening the calf. And then once they realized he was the peace child, then everything became clear to them. And they began to understand the gospel. So anyway, the word with t- the, one of my problems with total depravity is this idea that there's nothing good out there. All right. Well, we have spent... 40 minutes talking about what it's not. Sorry. What is it? What does it mean that we are totally depraved, uh, radically corrupted? It means we were created good and everything about us has been touched by sin. Everything about us has been touched by sin. Every part of us. Uh, what does that mean? It means our imagination. Anybody do their homework? Our mind. Our thoughts. What does Genesis 6 say? End of your homework. Every thought of man's heart was only evil all the time. Evil in that sense is not, you know, the worst, most evil possible thought that's away from God. It's not, it's, it's not, it's direct, it's against God. Our minds are not prone to believe in God. That's why we don't. That's why we need to be regenerated before you can see it. Um, you know, that unbelievers aren't being um, aren't being mean. They're not being 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sarcastic on purpose. They really do think that believers are a little crazy because we go around believing in this guy in the sky and we talk to him and we try to live for him and they don't see him. Uh, they just they can't. They're, they're blind. Uh, Jesus said, you, w- you know, you, you would not come to me because you, you cannot come to me because you will not come. Um, every thoughts of our, our hearts are only evil all the time. We don't we don't see it. We're, we, God's not giving them eyes to see. That's one of the prayers. Give them eyes to see. Um, you read through the, the Gospels, and Jesus talks about this a lot, that the Israelites are blinded to who they have. They don't see who has come. There's a great, scary, frightening passage in Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, I think. It's in one of the Thessalonians 3s. I'm not sure about it's first or second, but I know it's in 3. It says... Um, because they did not love the truth, God sent them a strong lie. He's given the culture over to believing a strong lie. Um, and that lie being that Jesus was not the Messiah, and that's why they persecuted Christians, because he was using the persecution of Christians to scatter the church in the foreign, in the foreign lands. Um, because they did not love the truth. They, didn't, they, they couldn't see it. There's a place in London called Hyde Park, and it's uh, it's a place where free speech is most exercised. And you can say anything you want to say if you are six inches off the ground. That's the only rule. You go, you got to get an apple um, apple box. What do they call it? Apple crate. I'm gonna get off my apple crate. Is that the saying? Soap box. Bam. I'm going to get off my... Yeah, people bring, literally would used to bring soapboxes and stand on it. And I went there once, and you can hear anything there. I, I listened to a guy talking about Marxism and how wonderful it was. There's a lot of guys talking about Islam. There's a few people trying to preach the gospel. People talking about everything. As long as you're six inches off the ground. And so one time, a man was giving his poetry, and he was giving his atheistic poetry, and he said, they say there is heaven, but I can't see it. And they say there is a God, but I can't see it. And they say there is a hell beneath me, but I can't see it. And why can't I see it? Because nothing's there. And uh, he, he got down, and a, a man with a cane went up on the stage. And he said, he said, they say the sky's blue, but I can't see it. And they say the grass is green, and I can't see it. And they say there are people in front of me right now, but I can't see it. And why can't I see it? Because I'm blind. And... I say all that to say, like, we don't get mad at blind people for not seeing, right? We pity them and we help them. And our job with the unbeliever is not to be angry, but it's to pity them and try to figure out a way to help them. Uh, our imaginations are corrupt. Our uh, feelings are corrupt. We don't feel the right way. You know, there are things that we get mad about that we shouldn't. There are things that we should get mad about that we don't. Um, you know, but the... The unbeliever gets mad when his rights are trampled on. and um, The believer just can't understand why anybody would get angry that you know abortion's been outlawed. Um, well, because to them, they, they feel that their rights are more important than, than life. Again, they're, they're just callous. They just can't feel it. They don't feel correctly. Um, we are our wills. Our wills are corrupted, right? We don't want the right thing. Um, we uh, we might think right and feel right, still not do the right thing. You know what I'm You know, I think I think that if I don't lose weight and get my triglycerides down, I'm going to die. I honestly believe that because my doctor told me, and I trust science. I feel that that would be very bad. I want to live a long time. I really do. I want to have grandchildren and see them and play with them. I go to that pantry every night at 10 o'clock. I just can't not go. I just, just because I want it, and I'm, I'm regenerate. <laughs> like, I'm a Christian. 
And I still have trouble with that. And so what I do, I tell people, that's how you fight against sin. Not by hiding it. Our flesh is weak. You know, that's that's an example of the gluttony I just described. Sometimes we even want to do the right thing. We, we have the desire to do the right thing, but we can't get ourselves out of bed to do it. We can't, uh, you know, this is this is where addictions live. Addictions live in our flesh. And it, you know, we don't think it should be. Um, we don't think we know. We know that we should stop drinking. We feel like it's destroying our lives. Our wills are, are try to be with it, but our flesh just drags us off. Our flesh just drags us off. There's a um, great illustration of this in Anne Lamott's first kind of book of essays called uh, "Traveling Mercies," and it's a, a chapter called "Hunger." She describes her eating disorders, and and she was converted, and she was converted out of a, a dark life uh, after an abortion that went badly. Um, she was and her, her, she was a drug user, and she gave that up, and she was an alcoholic, pretty bad alcoholic, and she gave that up, and and she'd done everything, and she she'd really seen victory over pretty much everything except she couldn't stop her, her eating disorder. She just couldn't stop. And she said she'd be you know at a Bible study. And hear this voice in the back of her head saying, it's time to go. And she'd say to it, I don't want to go. And that voice would say, it's time to go shopping. We need to get to the grocery store. And you know, she'd feel herself being dragged by her flesh um, back to this, this place of comfort. And, um, and that's that is part of our flesh, not being able to do the right thing, even when we want to do the right thing. We are we're a tangled mix. Uh, everything about us has been touched. That's why we say total depravity, by the way. Uh, it, it, mean, it doesn't mean we're utterly depraved. It doesn't mean we're as bad as we can be. It means every part of us has been touched, right? So if I had this I have a cup, okay. this cup is full of coffee. Uh, coffee was once water, right? The, 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 the water that I poured through the machine all went through the coffee pot, and now it's all coffee. There's no water I mean, obviously you divide it up, but you understand what I'm saying. There's no, like, fresh water in this cup. It's, it's coffee. Now, could it be stronger coffee? Yeah. Could it be, you know, 10 espresso shots? Probably. It could be. It's not as strong as it possibly could be, but it's all coffee. Is that done illustration? Let me feed it back. Because usually the illustration I have is with cyanide, right? I'm like, I put one drop of cyanide in this cup... It's all been tainted, right? You still wouldn't drink the cup. It's not all cyanide, but it's all been tainted. Also do the illustration of food coloring. Which of those three do you like better? Mm, like coffee? <laughs> all right. Well, it's, it's morning. We're going to say with coffee. Okay. So it, 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 all of us are corrupt. We're, we are all in rebellion, secondly. What does it mean that we are radically corrupted? Corrupted means we are all, everything about us is wrong. Radical, we're in rebellion. We're against God. Romans 1 says we have uh, given, we've worshipped the image, the, the, the creation instead of the creator. We've looked at something, whether it be money or pride or success or alcohol or sex. Something we have found something in this creation that we want to give all of our effort to, and we worship the creation rather than the Creator. We have tried to get away. We've tried to get away, and um, that's that's all Romans one and two is about, right? Romans one is all about people going, trying to get as far. This is world history. World history. Romans one, the spiral of history. Uh, people turned away from the Lord. And so he, he gave them over. Three times we're told he gave them over to what they wanted to do. Um, we, are, uh, we are trying to get away from God. That's important. Remember that. Okay? You were not neutral to God. If you are outside of the if you're outside of Christ, you're not like, well, if I just had a good argument, I'll probably believe in him. You're not neutral to God. You want to be your own Savior. That is our chiefest 
uh, strongest desire. We are corrupt. We are away from him from birth. In sin, my mother conceived me in iniquity. I was brought forth in iniquity. That's what David says in Psalm 51. Um, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, the Apostle Paul is a great example. He wasn't out in the desert looking for Jesus. He was looking to imprison followers of Jesus. Uh, he was going his opposite direction as he possibly could. That's why he wrote... Um, this is a worthy saying. Full, uh, this is a tr- trustworthy saying, worthy of all acceptance. Uh, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I'm the chief. I'm the chief. Um, he wasn't. He was not following after God. He wasn't looking for God. Um, he was trying to get away from Him. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand that rebellious nature, then then all these letters are really going to make you angry. Um, it is not the world is not made up of neutral people, good people and bad people. The world is made up of God's people and dead people. I see dead people. They don't know the dead. It's a great line. They just see what they want to see. They don't know the dead. They're walking around everywhere. They don't know they're dead. And finally, uh, radical corruption means we're under the influence. Um, the rest of Ephesians 2 says, uh, if I can get the first of it, I remember all of it. You he made alive who are dead in your uh, trespasses and sins, as we all were. Dang it, I'm not going to get it. Let's turn there. This is good. See, if I had done this 50 minutes ago, I would have gotten it, but my brain is tired. Ephesians 2, it's alright for me to make you open your Bible. Probably should do that more often. We just dance around a lot. Um, Ephesians 2, you can tell us it's a new Bible because it didn't open up straight to it. In a few years it will. My favorite chapter of the Bible. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you went walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We are trying to get away from God. We are rebellious to God. We are moving away from Him. And as a result, we are children of wrath. Our hearts are, have fallen, right? He says, we're carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Our, our minds are corrupted. Our, our heart, bodies, our flesh is corrupted. Our, our hearts are corrupted. We're going away from Him. We are in rebellion against Him. We are under the, the influence of the, the power of the air. That's Satan, Satan's influence. He is he is moving us away from God. We don't know we're under His influence. Just like a fish doesn't know it's in polluted water. We, we don't know we're under His influence. We're just living our lives. But we're living our lives moving away from God, following the desires of our body and mind. And I, I love the way Paul includes himself in this because... Uh, do you remember how Paul followed the desires of his body and mind before he was converted? Well, before that. By following the law. Yeah, by following the law. He in, in Philippians two, he says he was perfect when it came to righteousness by the law, blameless. That which is a statement none of you would make, <laughs> but it's because you understand the spiritual nature of the law. But that was him trying to fulfill the fleshly lusts, the, the power of the body. His, his seeking after, uh, the, the, you know, following after the prince of the power of the air, carrying out the desires of the body, for him, that meant following the law. Isn't that interesting? Some of us work so hard to be good it feels good to be good. feels good to be good. It feels real good to be better. 
It does. Let's just be honest. It feels good to be better than you. I may not be perfect, but better than you. Feels nice. Feels nice. The reason why I didn't go to my senior party, well, there are a lot of reasons, but uh, one of the main reasons I didn't go to my senior party because driving around in that car listening to Amy Grant made me feel good. Made me feel better than everybody else who was at that party. Um, carrying out the desires of the flesh. All right, we're getting close to the end here. Um, what's next? So that's what radical corruption means. It means that we are every part of us is affected. It means that we are rebelling against God and under the power, the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So conclusions. Everyone's turned away from God. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans chapter 3, since we're in the Apostle Paul's territory here, might as well go ahead and read it. Um, beginning with verse 10, as it is written, he said, he's binding the whole world up under sin. We'll start with verse 9. Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks, that's the entire world, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's like he's trying to write, hammer this down, right? Not even one. No one. I'm not being hyperbolic. Not even one. We are dead at the bottom of the swimming pool. And the reason we're at the bottom of the swimming pool is because we're running away from God. And that's where we got to. That's where it took us. That's not the greatest illustration, but we'll work for it. Um, Two other conclusions about this. God still directs sinners. He is still sovereign. I'm bringing yesterday, uh, last week, together with this week. He still directs sinners. Talk a little bit about that. Um, so, we're all sinners. There are his people uh, and the seed of the serpent. There's the seed of Eve and the seed of the serpent, and we'll get to that next week. But um, a good way of kind of thinking about life, and this is important because a lot of times when we begin, especially next week, when we start talking about election. People get this idea that you know everybody's trying to get in to God's nightclub, and He lets some in, and He puts that rope up. He's like, "No, not you, you, but not you." And that is the opposite of the truth. God is not giving anybody the Heisman. There's nobody who comes. He says this over and over again in the Bible. In Isaiah 62, three-ish. Uh, he says, I, all day long I held my arms open to you, but you would not come. You would not come. He says, and uh, Jesus says the same thing. In, uh, when he's, he's going to, the, to Jerusalem to be crucified, he looks down from the Mount of Olives and he starts weeping. He says, why wouldn't you come? I would have gathered you under my arms like chicks. Why wouldn't you You would not Come. You would not come because we don't want our sins to be um, exposed or we don't want our independence taken away from us. Um, Whatever it is, we are trying to get away from God. We are trying to go towards sin, not knowing that it leads to destruction. And these chains that are binding us are God's grace. And some of them He uses for a while until He gets us in a place when He wants to call us to Himself. And sometimes He uses those chains. Um, like I said, He uses one sin to keep us from another. Um, I uh, I really do have to lose weight for my health. And so I'm doing this thing called Healthy Wager. Have you seen any commercials for that? If you watch the Hallmark Channel, it's on the commercials there a lot. And um, you make a bet on yourself. Like I've bet a thousand dollars on myself that I can lose 30 pounds before July 1st. And I'm going to do it. (laughs) Because I love money, right? 
Now, that is not me conquering my desires of the flesh. That's not me overcoming uh, my sin of gluttony. That is me loving money more than I love food, right? That's giving me. That's using one sin to keep me from another sin. God does that kind of thing. He He holds us back, and that's common grace. And then sometimes, um, sometimes He 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 overpowers us, and He He draws our attention over here. We'll talk about that later. And sometimes He cuts the chain, chain and lets you go. And um, and that's tragic. And so we are, but we're continuing. He's over here with his arms open. He's over here with his arms open. And everybody will be received who comes to him. Some people are blind and they just don't see it. So that is why salvation has to be by grace. Um, That's (laughs) very important typo. I suppose that we are now prepared for salvation by grace. Not we are not prepared by salvation by grace. I looked at that and I was like, that's not what I meant to say. I'm not sure what I meant to say, but it wasn't that. So, sorry. So I get for not proofreading. Um, we're now prepared. That's, that's it. If God lets us do what we want to do, we're running away. Alright. This is good news. It's good news. You know, I, you know uh, this is the news that will just unleash joy in your heart. Because you know what keeps you from experiencing joy? This feeling of disappointment with yourself. You're always so disappointed. I didn't do what I ought to have done. If you'll believe this, you're like, I got out of bed. I did it. <laughs> the Lord's awake in my heart. When I came in here and congratulated y'all for coming here, like I 100% mean that. There are 5 billion people in the world that didn't come. But you did. You wanted to be here. You would not have done that if Jesus wasn't alive in your heart. Be be encouraged. Experience joy. Stop beating yourself up. I expect way less from you than you do. If you have any idea how truly, radically corrupt you are, is it possible to beat yourself up? Because I guarantee you could have been worse. God loves you. Right, let me pray for you. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for loving 